This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. We're, they've got some great sale items, Court. I subscribe to the news feed, and I know you do too. Mm-hmm. And we hope by now our listeners do, because we've been talking about it for quite some time, where it's nice to be informed, not only before you go out to the store, but as you walk in the store, what's on sale and what some of the deals are. And often there's a free thing available. So that's good to know about. Uh, but through February 9th right now, which is you know over a week away, um, there's some boneless pork shoulder roast available uh, at a discount. In addition to some barbecue baby back ribs that are only $10.99 a pound, you can save five bucks a pound on those. Those are already cooked, ready to take home and heat. Yeah, they, they make it so easy for you. And one of the things that uh, I don't know that we've highlighted enough, Chris, is on the uh, the uh, news feed that you get regularly in your inbox or on the website, zoopans.com, recipes. So my wife, Randy, and I have made a habit of this when we're trying to meal plan, what are we going to eat this week? Uh, we'll go to zoopans.com, click on the recipes. And I, I mean, I'm looking at this right now and they've got seared steelhead sushi bowl. Uh, if you want to uh, you know, up your game and do a butter poached halibut with chard, that recipe is there. They've got a couple of recipes for, st- actually, I'm looking at three of them for steelhead. If you don't know how to cook steelhead, well, here are three options for you. And then, of course, you take this recipe, you go to your local, local zoo pans, and you can get all this delicious food, and, and you look like a gourmet chef. Yeah, I think it's great to look like one. Right. Better, better and, to and, and be cook, one. Right, and cook like one. Yeah, cook like, <laughs> cook like one. Yep. They, they also have uh, some Italian cookies um, from CC's available. And I mention that because uh, we're getting ready for Zupan's Italian month. Well, they'll be featuring food products uh, imported directly from the best food vendor- vendors in Italy. So look forward to that in the month of February as well. Very nice. And here's something crazy to think about, but we are approaching spring, believe it or not, and tulips starting to come into season, they've got both local and international tulips on sale. Uh, $10 for a 10-stem bunch. You're saving 5 bucks, And that uh, sell-through, by the way, is through February 2nd. You can get those tulips at your local zoo pans. That includes West Burnside, McAdam, Lake Oswego. And you can always find out all the information you could ever hope for. Where, Chris? Zoopans.com. All right, it's time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. Hello, Court Johnson from kink.fm. What do you want me to say now? I keep changing it. Should I, how do I identify you? Just call me Radio's Court Johnson. Radio's Court Johnson. Sure, why not? Of all the radio, anybody can tune into anything and they'll at least think of you. Right, there you go. That's the same uh, kind of mind device that we tried with the word amazing. Right. You couldn't say that on the podcast. So uh, one of the things we wanted to accomplish with that, other than not hearing the word amazing every other sentence, was um, was to have people think of the podcast. Sure. And yeah. ever they heard the word amazing, which is 100 times a day. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. as an advertising guy, this was my way of coming up with a uh, subliminal advertising device i'll be honest I with you I, well, I think it worked that's what i was about to say chris uh, i think it worked 
Yeah, I do have a lot of people whenever they they use the word amazing around me, and I do use it sometimes. Um, they they look shameful. <laughs> right, they're like, oh, Chris hates me now. You're right, exactly. Yeah, I don't hate it. It's just I got. You know, a few years ago, we heard so many people using that word. And I think it's um, uh, Louis C.K. does a routine about the word amazing. And um, that was after I was I don't know if it was before or after, but it's true. We you know, what is really amazing is are the fries that we had the other day amazing? Do they amaze you? No, they don't. Right. But at any rate, enough of that. Um, we have a great podcast this morning with Erica Palmer, which we and we've had her on quite a few times earlier in the pandemic, and then earlier on in her um, uh, to talk about plate and pitchfork dinners and what they do as far as uh, helping the hungry and teaching people about. Um, uh, food, where it comes from, and making them think a little bit about it. And Eric is an, an advisor to the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon. And uh, I suggest you follow her on Instagram at PitchforkPDX because she does a lot more than that, too. We're going to provide links in the show notes, too, to both of her organizations, how to give. And we talk about in the podcast things that can be done um, to help your favorite local restaurants from patronizing them to lobbying um, lawmakers and people who have influence uh, on uh, proposing bills and voting on them as well. So we have that. The other thing I asked Erica that she knew, um, which I think is helpful, I get asked all the time about where to go. Um, I always have all these years and that hasn't stopped. And I don't necessarily have a ready to go list of restaurants uh, that are still serving and who's doing takeout and who's doing cocktails to go. But she informed me that at PDX2, the number two, PDX2go.com, people can find some of that information. In addition to, of course, if you have an idea uh, about your favorite restaurant, you certainly just go to their website and order directly from them and go pick it up. Don't be a lazy ass um, and use one of the national delivery services because those are not necessarily helping your favorite restaurant. They're, those those uh, companies eat into the profits. So um, uh, as Erica said, it's not going to be, it, it's um, consumers that can help get restaurants to the other side, but it's really legislation and grants that are going to help the operators get through because they have some so many challenges going on. And right now, you know, we're at a time where they opened, they built outdoor enclosures and then they had to close. And it's, it's, it's really a sad situation. And there's so many people unemployed. I think she said 25% of unemployed people come from the restaurant industry. Wow. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I thought it was important to put Erica back on in front of the mic or in front of the computer via Zoom and hear what she had to say and do whatever we can to help restaurants in the meantime. Well, I'm so, looking forward, Chris, to hearing from Erica. But be- before we actually get to the uh, to the, uh, you know, the actual meat of this uh, interview, uh, I did want to ask you to remind us about the trips that you've got coming up this year and next year. You've had to move some things around just because of the ongoing pandemic. 
So I get confused sometimes as to what's happening this year and what's been pushed maybe into uh, later this year or into 2022. Thank you for asking. That's also a way of supporting your local restaurants, one of them being Urdaneta, one of my absolute favorites, which is why I asked JL and Javier, the owners of the restaurant, to do some trips with us. And we have two of them planned, one in uh, September um, of actually October now. We've moved it to October of 2021 and another one in April of 2022. So um, those are awesome trips to San Sebastian and surrounding areas where Javier uh, spent some time. His family is from there and learned a lot of his um, his Spanish or Basque cooking from that region. We've, we urge you to take a look at that trip on PortlandFoodAdventures.com where you also see um, another one to Italy in the fall, and we're planning some others as well. Italy specifically being Western Sicily with my dear co-host on these trips, Austria Ensign, and um, they're just fantastic trips to this one. Will be, we've already done Eastern Sicily. We've done Florence. We've done Emilia Romagna around Bologna. And now we're going to Western Sicily and we're planning some more for uh, the future into 2022 and 2023 back to Tuscany. And um, so I, I urge people to take a look at those and give me a call. If you have any interest, I'd love to uh, work something out with you to sign up. We have some room that has come available from previously sold out trips um, because there are certain people that couldn't make the new dates and those are now available. So uh, I urge people to get in. We also have, speaking of trips and Erica, we, there are two trips available um, to the Snake River this summer. Um, so Erica, as a matter of fact, uh, our guest today uh, has always been doing a trip to the Snake River with um, Laurelhurst Markets, Ben Bettinger, and she has that available at PlaytonPitchfork.com. And I know she's been doing that for years, and it's a great trip. And that, that launches uh, out of Joseph, Oregon, um, or starts in Joseph. And I have a trip with Portland Food Adventures out of Halfway with the folks from Canyon Outfitters and Jonathan Gill from Ringside Steakhouse. That is a, a July 4th trip, starts July 4th, four days on the river with great meals. And these folks have been doing trips for over 40 years, uh, Lynette and George, and they're incredible. And we have some space. So we urge you to take a look at that. And again, call me if anybody has any interest. So there are uh, lots of opportunities to get away um, aside from, in addition to going out to your favorite restaurant to get some takeout. And I'm looking forward to, I haven't had any takeout cocktails yet. I'm looking forward to trying that. I'm not a big drinker, but it sounds kind of enticing to find some interesting cocktails. And as Erica said, um, where is it? Uh, Palomar is even uh, providing the ice to go. Nice. So let's talk to Erica. Let's hear what she has to say. She's one of my favorite uh, folks in the industry because she does so much and she's always been very kind to me. And I just love her plate and pitchfork events. And we're hoping that maybe she can sneak a few events in the summer. We talk about it. But if not, keep your eye, definitely subscribe to her new newsletter and uh, be aware of when the plate and pitchfork dinners happen again. 
because they're, um, to me, they embody everything great about Oregon. So um, here's Erica. Right at the Fork is supported by Zupan's Markets. Whether you're an expert chef or a connoisseur of great cuisine, Zupan's Markets has been the number one destination for the food and wine lovers of Portland and beyond for over 40 years. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego, or Zupans.com. Ringside Steakhouse. It's time again to slice into the best steaks and service available in Portland. Seating is now available by reservation only for indoor and outdoor dining at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And check out the newly opened New England-style fish and ship spot with a Northwest personality, Rock Paper Fish, a partnership between the Peterson family and Portland icon Micah Camden in the old Boxer Ramen space on East Burnside for takeout only. And by Portland Food Adventures, Cabin Fever, book a fantastic culinary vacation in 2021 with podcast host Chris Angeles. Experience the best of Basque Country with Javier Canteras of Erdoneta or Western Sicily with Taste of Italy's Austri Enzyme. Wet your appetite and get more information at portlandfoodadventures.com or contact Red at the Fork host Chris Angeles for more details. So uh, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, I'm sorry that we have to keep talking about this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't have to, but we are. And you don't have to do what you've been doing, but you are. And it's unbelievable um, what you've been doing. I don't know every single thing. I see little bits and pieces and I see you advocating and it's, it's not only impressive, but it's endearing and it's wonderful. And I, I think of all people in Portland, of course, I can't keep up with every single person, but you're, you've taken the, uh, the lead and have done whatever you can to make sure that our restaurant friends are surviving. And just a little background for those who don't know, because we can't assume that people have listened to our podcast with you in the past. Um, you've been around chefs and restaurants for quite some time with Plate and Pitchfork. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and then we'll get into what you've been doing um, this year. Sure. Um, in the early 2000s, I started a dinner series called Plate and Pitchfork. Um, having dinners on farms to reconnect eaters with the people that grow and craft their food. Um, you've also interviewed my former business partner, Emily Barrett Crowley, who was my partner in the beginning of the Plate and Pitchfork days. She went on to work with Feast, and I continued doing the Plate and Pitchfork Farm Dinner Series, which has led me to this position of being accustomed to having to advocate for one's needs because having a dinner on a farm was not a legal thing to do back when we started Clayton Pitchfork. It didn't become an approved activity until 2011. So um, I understand the obstacles that businesses face in permitting and regulation. And I have chosen to take the path of educating policymakers so that those policies are changed in a way that support the culinary and agricultural industries. So that Um, that teamed me up to be the the person to do this work. (laughs) So let me ask you, did you, uh, before you started playing Pitchfork, did you, uh, were there things in your life that led you to be pretty good at 
navigating minefields uh, and also, um, you know, being able to uh, set yourself a goal and go achieve it as well. It's funny. I've always avoided setting goals. Always. Yeah, I, that's why I ask because sometimes I always feel like, you know, the best things, most, many of the best things in my life have been things that came about that I didn't know were going to come about. So when you set goals, you're on that, you're on a certain path that maybe five years later wouldn't be the, the best path. That's just my thought. But yeah, um, I'm not a goal setter, but um, I'm sure that if somebody looked objectively at my life, they would say that differently because I, I set little goals all the time on projects, but I don't, I didn't ever have a distinct career path. Um, I think what has set me up for this work is that I like solving problems and puzzles and I like to be of service. So um, to be the person that you can call when you're in trouble has, has definitely been a role that I've played since I was a kid. Yeah, but you also put yourself in the center of it too because putting on a dinner on a farm uh, where you have to basically create a restaurant and a kitchen um, out there every weekend. Um, I'm sure in the beginning was really tough. And then when you start figuring out the processes and um, it probably got a little bit easier, but there's, there's nothing easy about that. And, and putting aside chef egos as well that you've had to deal with. So um, it's not, it hasn't been an easy proposition. It's something along the way you could have just said, you know, this is too much for me to deal with. And a lot of people might've done that, but you stuck with it. And, and I say that because I'm a big fan of yours and I'm a big fan of Plate and Pitchfork because I feel like once I moved to Oregon, uh, Plate and Pitchfork dinners embodied so much of what is wonderful about this place. And, you know, those things are obviously our farms and what makes us unique from a food system, but also our create our creativity and the ability to sit down with people you don't even know and make friends. Those sorts of things are, I think, things I didn't experience in Connecticut and I have in Oregon in a big way. And some of the first opportunities I had were at your plate and pitchfork dinners. So, sure. Well, I'm glad that we could play that role. Um, they, Pardon me? I'm glad that we could play that role and give you that Oregon experience. Yeah, well, I, uh, it's it's been great and I advocate it to everybody. So at any rate, that's been, how many years, 16, 17 years now? You had to take a hiatus this year. We took a hiatus on year 18. Year 18. It's amazing. I thought I was going to be ahead of myself at 16, but it's year at 18. Now the so, question is, how do you count, like, if, if it's safe to have dinners this year, is this year 18 of farm dinners or year 19? I don't know how we do that math. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I think you can say whatever you want to say. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then disclaim it if you feel like it or if anybody challenges you, there you have an explanation, <laughs> however, you, however you want to do it. But so year 18 and... Um, and it happened usually right when you're planning your dinners, right? So the pandemic hit right when you would sell. So you'd already done all the planning for 2020. We were close to announcing, yeah, to traditionally announce the ticket sales on the first day of spring. So, right. Yeah. But you, so you had to have, it's not like you sit around in the week before say, hey, do you want to? 
would you like to get this? Who would you like to collaborate with and on what date? It takes the whole year to put that together, I would imagine. It doesn't take the whole year, but yes, the planning was nearly done. Right. So, all right. So um, what led you, we've already discussed some of this, but it's okay to, to retrace some steps here. What, can you go back to March and identify for us what you saw? You saw an opportunity for you to advocate and get some things done. And then maybe you can just talk about what you've done since then. Sure. Um, I mean, what happened in March, uh, on March 13th, a number of restaurateurs in Portland gathered in anticipation of needing support from Governor Brown. Um, they weren't sure the, the restaurants hadn't been ordered closed yet. They knew they were going to need to take some action. Uh, they weren't receiving guidance at a local or state or federal level on how to navigate the pandemic. And so they gathered together to figure out what to do. And after they had that meeting, I started getting calls and texts asking for help because folks knew that I was good at navigating government systems and we're looking for some help. And I um, penned a letter to represent the things that they had communicated needing help with. Um, that letter became an open letter to Governor Kate Brown. And it had about a dozen requests um, for financial and policy assistance. And that letter is what led to Naomi Pomeroy asking me to join a call with a national group of chefs on March 18th. And that call led to the formation of the Independent Restaurant Coalition. So within about a week's time, the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon was created and the Independent Restaurant Coalition was created as well. And you were working two prongs and uh, I, I assume you were starting in Oregon and working your way I was volunteering for both at, at simultaneously. Um, the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon was having um, a couple of, you know, random Zoom calls and just conversations among uh, business leaders who were trying to support the community. And I served as a resource and a, sort of a guide in how to reach local legislators and then the Independent Restaurant Coalition, I was serving as a volunteer on a team that started as 18 people and quickly grew to um, nearly 100 in a matter of weeks. And we were having twice daily Zoom calls to organize and mobilize. And so what are some of the things that are, were most noticeable that you, that you initiated and then were successful at making happen? Uh, both in Oregon and, and nationally as well. In Oregon, our big success early on was the work that the Portland folks did to get commission caps on delivery fees within the Portland metro area that then bubbled up into a proposal that was implemented statewide. Um, that statewide change didn't happen until the end of December. And then the Independent Restaurant Alliance also was supporting their members in accessing PPE. If you remember in the beginning of the pandemic, it was really tough to get things like masks and gloves and sanitizer. Um, we 
received about 25,000 masks from the governor's office and supported distributing those to restaurant owners so that not only their staff, but guests who were walking in without masks were handed a mask to keep people safe. Um, the Alliance also, you know, quickly rallied to support um, people that were suffering with food insecurity, whether it was mobilizing to deliver food to food banks or, um, you know, as restaurants were closing, making sure that the, those that food wasn't going to waste. Supported the World Central Kitchen effort here that was working at first to support folks that lost their income or were in congregate housing situations and lacking meal support. And then, you know, rallied to support the um, communities that were impacted by the forest fires in September. So that, that. yeah, that little thing, remember that? Yeah. So I mean, the Alliance has, the Alliance has most also perhaps most importantly served as peer counseling so as people were trying to figure out how to safely reopen, there was a lot of resource sharing as people were trying to come up with policies and procedures to, you know, what do you do when you uh, have an employee test positive for COVID? Like those resources were shared very freely within the Alliance community, as was a lot of mental health support. You know, a lot of folks saying it's okay if you're feeling down. I mean, there have been check-in calls on one another. There have been uh, reminders of things like Ben's friends, and just really trying to help people navigate this, what I hope is a once in a lifetime experience. And then if you switch gears to the Independent Restaurant Coalition, we have been focused singularly on finding financial support for the independent restaurant community nationwide in the form of financial aid from the federal government. Um, in June, Representative Blumenauer sponsored the Restaurants Act, which is a $120 billion grant fund that he um, introduced in partnership with Representative Fitzpatrick. And then we saw a bill in the Senate from Senator Wicker and Senator Sinema doing the exact same thing, providing $120 billion in grant funding to restaurants nationwide. Unfortunately, um, that didn't pass in the 116th Congress. So now, as we have a new Congress, we are starting over, and we hope to see a new version of the Restaurants Act introduced by our same Senate and House champions, with hopefully within the next week or so. I would assume you were in pretty close contact with uh, Earl Blumenauer throughout this whole thing, and you can take a little credit for his being the one to introduce the bill. I can never take credit for Mr. Blumenauer. He is a force of nature. Um, he listened very intently to me, to Gregory, Gorday, to Naomi, to all of the restaurateurs, and also, importantly, farmers in Oregon. One of my first phone calls with the congressman was with a group of agricultural producers um, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, identifying solutions that they too needed in order to survive. So he's, we're lucky to have him. He really is a force of nature. Um, he signs many of his emails courage and nobody embodies that more than him. Wow. So um, what is, uh, you know, but actually before we go any further, just in case, because we can't, we can't just the, the uh, law of nature is that people will, more people will listen to the beginning of this than the end of it. 
So what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about what anybody listening to this podcast can do and what they can do to help now and then go back a little bit more to some um, legislation and some some other things that are going on. So uh, are you asking what people can do to support the industry or what they can do to be advocates with legislators? I think to support the industry first, because I think that's what most of the people listening to this podcast are fans of the industry. And then the other is an adjunct to that, of course. One supports the other. Okay. So the best ways that individuals can support the restaurant industry right now is um, two or three-pronged. One is, of course, if your budget allows dine out often, if that means uh, carry out. I know every county in Oregon has different regulations at this point, so I'm sure your listenership is broad. So if you are in a county that offers uh, the opportunity to dine at a restaurant, do as you can. Um, If you're not able to and you can work it into your budget to do carryout, please do. Um, Please also order directly from your restaurants when you work with delivery services that are um, national firms. They do take a pretty large cut. And so if you're able to make it to a restaurant to pick up on your own, please order directly and pick up. If you're giving gifts during this time, um, another great thing to do is purchase gift certificates. Although I would say that you would want to um, recommend that the person that's going to use a gift certificate do it after the pandemic is over. Uh Or if you're able to, if you're not really interested in, in eating out that often, but you can buy a gift card and think of it as just a donation to the restaurant. That's also super helpful. Um, There are numerous funds out there to support restaurant workers as they navigate this. I mean, when a restaurant closes its doors, you know, there's not a lot of opportunity for staff to go to work. And I believe that more than 45% of Oregonians that are unemployed are from our industry. I know nationwide, one in four people that are unemployed are restaurant workers Mm. so locally we have things like family meal many you know check to see if your favorite restaurant has a gofundme that's supporting their employees nationally the lee initiative and the southern smoke foundation are doing great work to provide funding to restaurant workers as they are trying to just get by Um, beyond that um, cocktails to go are legal in Oregon now. So if you um, are a cocktail consumer, add that to your dinner purchase. Their packaging has been amazing. Um, Ricky Gomez over at Palomar, when you pick up your cocktail, he's even including the ice. So they make it very easy to have a special dinner experience. And the more you can do that, the better. Recognize in saying that, that consumers will not save this industry. We really do need financial support at a state and federal level. And so the other piece of this is making sure that your elected officials know how much you value your local restaurants. And if you think about it, when you think about visiting a town, whether it's, um, whether when it's you coming out to Eastern Oregon, Chris, whether it's, you know, taking a trip into the Valley, one of the first things you're doing is looking for a great place to grab a bite to eat. Uh Um, Or, you know, if it's grabbing, ingredients to make a picnic, whether it's having a meal and getting to know the local community based on 
talking to your bartender or the people that are sitting next to you at a table. And that engagement is something that really powers the economic development of our state. And especially in smaller communities, a lot of our natural resource economy was impacted when we lost things like timber and they regained some of their jobs in tourism and now those are being impacted. So calling your local representative and sharing with them why your favorite restaurants are important to you and asking them to do everything they can to be supportive goes a really long way. It can't just be the restaurant industry and the restaurant industry workers calling. We need our public to step up now too. And so where would everybody find the information that they need to contact their representatives and uh, their lawmakers? So if you're in Oregon, you're looking for your Oregon state representatives, you can go to a website called OLIS. So it's OregonLegislature.gov. And on the bottom right-hand corner, you can enter your address and it will share with you your um, congressman in the U.S. Senate. It will also share your representatives in the Oregon House. One of the things I've discovered in this past year, just it really has almost been a year, is that our civics classes are missing the boat. There are not a lot of people that understand that our, what our state houses do versus what happens on Capitol Hill. So in sort of a little fantasy world that I've created that allows me to have a lot more time, I would love to teach civics 101 to the, to the public and especially to our industry. Oh, you can have a huge, huge Zoom meeting. But, you know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, thinking about general consumers um, or, or just the general populace out there, you've got people in Washington, in the Congress, who don't even understand what the Constitution is. And we had a president who probably ne who never looked at it. So if we have people who are actually legislating who don't understand the system it doesn't come as a surprise that their constituents, most of them don't understand that too. No, but you don't have to understand. You don't have to read the constitution to understand that our democracy is one that is intended to be representative. And in order for a representative democracy to work, the people that we elect also need to hear from us when we're not electing them, right? So you can cast a vote at the ballot box, but you should participate in their town halls. Um, you know, most of our Oregon reps and certainly people like Congressman Blumenauer have uh, in person when it's safe to do so and video town halls where you can simply log in and listen to what they have to say. You can submit questions in advance. You can do a lot of learning about what they're focusing on and you quickly understand that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So I think at the beginning of the pandemic, people were saying, well, nobody's listening to us. And I would say, well, have you called? So that sense of nobody's listening to us has to, you know, it sounds like I'm victim blaming and I'm really not. It's just a, if you don't use your voice and if you don't advocate for what you need, your priorities won't be communicated to the people that can help you. And we have to stop looking to others to do that for us. We each have that responsibility. Uh, and you've been very good throughout this whole 
last 10 months, I guess it is now. No, it's more than 10 months. It just keeps, it just keeps going on. At, um, at putting that out there and advocating for people taking action, people like me who need, I need the prompt. And so you've been really good at that. And that takes, you know, I think that takes a lot of fortitude because it can get exhausting after a while, I would imagine. Well, it hasn't been 10 months for me. It's been four years. I had more than 1,500 days of consecutive political action, which was a pledge that I made with a dear friend the day that Mr. Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. Every day we would do one thing to fight for the people, places, and causes that we held dear. Um, so, I mean, I have a question for you. Like, I'm happy to prompt you, but why do you need a prompt? Uh, that's a good question. I can't, you know, I, I don't, I put it this way. I've taken action. There are things I've done. Do I do it every day? No. And so it's a nice reminder to have a prompt to do things as often as one can possibly to do. And I'm never going to say that I've held up my part of the bargain as a citizen. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but identifying why it's challenging to participate is a, is a good exercise. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not that challenging when you can sit at your, you know, sit at your laptop and send emails and pick up a phone and make some phone calls. It's not like anybody's asking you to go dig ditches to do this. So. No, I mean, one of my suggestions for everyone is that they go look up who their legislators are, and then you put them in your cell phone, put their phone numbers in your phone, put their email address in your phone. They're all available from their websites. Um, if you're looking up the Oregon legislature, it's all there's a directory. Once you put in your zip code, you'll see them all. Mm -hmm. um, and then it becomes like a force of habit. You know, uh, if you're sitting in line someplace, it doesn't take more than two minutes to make a call. And I have a habit that I, you know, I call and ask for things six days of the week. And then on the seventh day, I call and say, thank you. Um, or if somebody that represents me uh, does something bold or thoughtful, I try to recognize them not only with a personal phone call, but I still write old fashioned thank you notes. And of course, in this day and age, posting on social media and tagging your representative and thanking them for mm -hmm. doing good work goes a long way. And one, you know, uh, uh, one, one could be surprised at the reaction. I've had emails back from my representatives and calls you know, and, and I'm always kind of disappointed when I don't pick, because I don't pick up the phone for anybody I don't know. So when I've missed those calls and have to. So, you know, uh, if you had their phone number saved in your phone, you would be able to get that call. See, you're a better person than I. So you have, of course, you've, you've thought of that, but I need to, I need to do that. Well, now I do. At least, at least a couple of them. So, um, so what do you? So now that Trump's not in office, I assume you're going to continue this. You're going to continue what you started four years ago and be as active as you were. I, well, being a member of the Independent Restaurant, well, being being part of the Independent Restaurant Coalition and the Independent Restaurant Alliance, um, I'm advocating every day without giving it the thought of having to advocate. I mean, that's it's my job. Um, but yes, I will continue, you know, just because a new administration stepped into office, that doesn't undo 
the damage that's been done in the last four years. And certainly our newly electeds need to know what our priorities are. And even then, you know, if, if you go back before Mr. Trump, I mean, systemic racism has, is very, very old uh, and has not been addressed. So there are always things to advocate for. Hey, Chris, let's pause here a moment to talk about one of our favorite places in Portland to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Right there on West Burnside, uh, while they may not be offering the in-restaurant dining because of the current regulations that keep changing, what you can do uh, is enjoy takeout from Ringside. So if you're in the mood for a hearty steak or even prime rib, they have three course steak dinners to go five nights a week starting at only $38 per person. And, uh, you know, for ringside steaks, that's fantastic. So go to their website and see what that's all about. You can uh, uh, order to go uh, and you can find them on DoorDash and Caviar or directly there. Call for pickup uh, starting at 3.30 and pick it up until 7.30. Start it, um, at 503-223-1513. That's 503-223-1513 at ringside for a great pickup uh, opportunity for to eat wonderfully tonight or tomorrow night or the next night starting on Wednesday. They're open Wednesday through Sunday. Hopefully in due time, you'll be able to make reservations to dine in the beautiful restaurant, which has been updated to pandemic standards and looks beautiful as a result with all the plexiglass between the booths. And of course, uh, lots of expensive ventilation that's gone into uh, the restaurant and train staff and employees to make your visit once you can go back in as comfortable as possible. Mm -hmm. So there's really no reason for you to not eat delicious food, first of all, but also uh, continue to support a Portland institution with Ringside Steakhouse. Uh, You can get all the information that Chris just mentioned on their website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. So how do you feel about, um, you know, things when we have the vaccine and things change um, as a Portlander, how do you feel about the image of the city now and what it's going to take, how many years it's going to take to repair the damage that was done? You know, just the images of Portland that went out all over the country, we became this incredible tourist destination. And now all of a sudden, I think that's my opinion is it's going to take a step back for a while and it's going to take some time to repair that. Um, What do you think about that? I moved to Oregon in 1989. Downtown Portland was not glitzy or flashy. The Pearl District was not the polished pearl that it became. I think that when the problems that Portland has are addressed, then it will recover. And it will not be a quick recovery. And I don't think that casting blame on protests is appropriate. Portland has had trouble downtown for many, many years because we have a houseless program or a houseless situation that lacks a program that will help people get off the street. And with every turn, we've, we've put more people on the street. We're not taking care of our own citizens So we don't deserve to be taking care of tourism. And I think that's a very unpopular opinion. Um, We have to take care of our own. We have to bring back 
the vitality to downtown Portland that keeps people employed. And then we'll be able to spit, polish and shine and come back. But you also have to remember, like, there are not a lot of people in the living in the downtown core that has been hollowed out because of the pandemic. Like, you can't just say downtown is devastated because there were protests. That's not fair and it's not accurate. You know, downtown is quiet because offices are empty. And I think the question to be asking is, will people go back to working in offices? Um, in many ways, it's better for our environment if they're not. You know, we reduce a lot of commuting, a lot of traffic, a lot of strain on all of those old bridges we have uh -huh. uh, by having people work from their homes. Is that the right and proper thing to do for businesses that rely on foot traffic downtown? Probably not. Should some of those offices, I mean, let's, let's look at Lloyd Center, the shopping mall, right? The uh -huh. shopping mall is like decimated at this point. It's a big structure, used to have an outdoor ice rink, still has that ice rink, um, has numerous different wings. Like, why couldn't we turn that into housing? You know, they were supposed to be turning all those parking lots across the way into these, you know, multiple unit high rises. Um, we need housing, we need affordable housing. And when we address our housing problem and we address the problem of keeping people employed and revitalizing our economy, Downtown will look good again. Yeah, that all makes sense. But it's, as you said, it's not going to be overnight. And there are a lot of problems to be addressed locally that need to be done. But we still, there's, I see your point. We still have an image problem that we didn't have a year ago. Uh, it no, was the but, opposite. But we shouldn't. Right. But we should have had an image problem, but instead we brushed our houseless problem under the rug and continued to court tourists who would then oftentimes come and say, oh my gosh, it's like uh, there's so many people on the street, right? So well, I agree with you. This didn't all happen this year. Yeah. It I was mean, starting. It's been brewing for a few years. Yeah, it's it's been a problem for a long time. And maybe when the issues that we have faced this year, the, the pandemic has laid bare all of the problems in our communities, whether it's in Portland, whether it's in a more rural community, whether it's outside of Oregon altogether. And we are now faced with the opportunity to stitch it back the way it was. And guess what? If we do that, we're going to have some of these same problems all over again because we're just brushing things under the rug. Or we can fix it and stitch it back the way it needs to be, which means that, speaking of political advocacy... Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler and the city council really need to dig in and do some hard work. We're not taking care of our community. Do you think they're, they're the ones to do it? I mean, I know we have a very unusual political structure in Portland, which doesn't give the mayor as much power as some other mayors in cities as the size of Portland may have. Do we have the structure to take care of it? We have the structure. Do we have the will? I don't know. I think that I, when think, I think as time goes on, that uh, it becomes a, it just becomes more and more glaring as time goes on. So I would think that the will would be there collectively. I mean, it doesn't take just one person or one council. It takes a lot of people putting pressure on them. I think you saw a lot of people speaking up 
at council meetings and directly to the mayor asking for support and making it very clear the things that they needed and were advocating for. And I don't think that they were heard. Um, I think, you know, we have a couple of new council members. I'm hoping that they're more responsive. I know the mayor has hired some new folks on his team. I know that Commissioner Hardesty is doing a lot of work. Um, and I'm hopeful that they listen to their community and implement new policies and really put their money where their mouth is and, and, and get to work. It's, you can't always blame problems on a process or on a structure. It's, it's people that make change and it's people that make government and it's people that impact change. And you can find a way within any structure to, to make good change. Oh, you're working on it. So what is, uh, what, um, what are you working on over the next few months? What's going to be most important to you to um, move forward and see, ha see happen? Uh, the Restaurants Act, 100%. Um, I will continue to do all of the volunteering that I do with the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon and support them as they all learn to become citizen advocates and they work with the Oregon legislature to try and get financial assistance there. But I will be 100% uh, focused on introducing, getting the new introduction of the Restaurants Act in the next week or so, and then rallying grassroots advocates nationwide to make sure that we get the same support that we were seeing in 2020 and that we get just that much further so that we actually pass the bill um, and hopefully see it in President Biden's COVID relief and get these independent restaurants nationwide um, the financial support they need to rehire their staff to survive the ups and downs that they're going to experience with the influx of new strains and new closures and you know, new government regulations on who can operate when, so that we can all come out of this with restaurants that can put 11 million people back to work, that can put the additional 5 million people in the supply chain jobs that feed into restaurants back to work, and we can create jobs and stability to rebuild all these communities like downtown Portland. So, and what is uh, what exactly are some of the highlights that are going to be in that bill um, that will provide some relief and some opportunities for uh, folks moving forward? Well, it's financial support. It is a grant, not a loan. Um, as I'm sure you aware, are aware, restaurants work on very thin margins. Taking on more debt doesn't work for them. So this is a grant program that would operate as revenue replacement and uh, would make up the gap in the revenue between 2019 and 2020, um, which would allow them to pay their rent, pay their suppliers, hire their staff, uh, pay for all of the changes that they've had to make to make their dining room safe. Over and over again, too. It's, it's get cranked up to close it down, which has been a frustrating, very frustrating is there, um, and pardon me for not following it as closely as I should have, but is some of that some um, forgiveness for PPP loans in the past or the emergency disaster loans, or is, are those kind of things going to be addressed? Because back in March and April, everybody just rushed for whatever they could get 
in you know panic mode. And so I think there are some businesses sitting with some pretty heavy loans right now. All of those things are separate from the Restaurants Act. So the PPP program does have forgiveness already. PPP2 that you just saw released extended the eligible expenses that may be forgiven uh-huh. um, and changed some of the, um, the process. So, um, but the Restaurants Act will not erase debt related to other government programs. Okay, but there may be some other things going on. I mean, that again, is a great way, great thing for people to advocate for if they receive PPP, whether they're a restaurant or something else, to, uh, you know, contact their representatives in D.C. and express the need for those loans to be forgiven. So is there anything else um, that you want to mention before we uh, set you free? To, to go walk Ozzy in the snow? <laughs> um, no, I appreciate you having me on again. I would just hope that everyone realizes, everyone that's listening realizes that even though they don't have a podcast, their voice matters and that there is power in using their voices. And if you're not sure where to start, you know, visit the Independent Restaurant Alliance of Oregon website or visit the Independent Restaurant Coalition website. I'll make sure to get you those addresses so that you can share them. Uh-huh. Um, we always, in both places, provide easy to follow um, advocacy guides. And the Independent Restaurant Alliance is also providing an updated list of resources for employers and employees and helpful guides and toolkits. For instance, right now they've got a winterizing toolkit that they produced in tandem with Travel Oregon. So if you're stuck on figuring out how the heck to make your outdoor dining safe and comfortable, there's a guide on how to do it. So I think we just have to keep um, supporting one another and focus on the future and don't give up hope. Do you know of any um, sites or, you know, I get asked a lot about where should I go? You know, the same questions that you and I have been asked for 10 years now. And I don't know where to lead people to, you know, what restaurants, where they might be open, how they're serving, if they're doing takeout only. Do you know if there's a, if there's a, anything that approximates a list of restaurants and what they're doing and, um, you know, who, who has takeout, who has cocktails to go, that sort of thing. Well, um, in Portland, which I know doesn't satisfy all of your listeners, but there is a site that is PDX2, the number two, go, um, that is easy to use and updated with that sort of content. Beyond that, um, you know, if there, there isn't a guide to restaurants that are open in the pandemic that I can recommend, but in terms of you know, if you're wondering if your favorite place is open, just check their social media. They're all posting right. so frequently, um, you know, and, and modifying their businesses. As I'm sure you know, Katie from Coquine has changed her business to provide uh, a farmer's market type of setup, a little CSA. She's also got the walk-up window. Um, and if you're not seeing information from your favorite restaurant and you miss them, just call them. Yeah, I'm sure they'd like to get a call. Mm-hmm. So, as is Naomi with her Ripe Cooperative and Cooperativa. There are, all, there are lots of places to do shopping that you didn't do before. So, and okay. lots of places to get an education on how to buy a meal kit that's almost fully prepared, like Naomi does. You know, you buy your kit and then you can watch a video on how to prepare your, your meal. And we will really... 
know, if you look back at the pandemic as the moment where you got to be a better cook, thanks to all of these restaurateurs, um, I think it'll make it even better when you get to go enjoy food in their restaurants, right? You'll have even more of an appreciation for all of the work that they put into your meals. Do you think a lot of the uh, to-go and the kits are going to continue after we're we're out of this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're, um, I love the notion that we're going to be out of it. I really do. Uh, but as I, when I said it, I say it, uh, you know, yeah, I know. No, I just love it. I like, I want to hang on to that hope, but I, I think that it's going to be a long time until restaurants are able to operate at the capacity that they did before. And so they're going to need to have a diversified revenue stream, whether it's in the form of meal kits or a packaged product so that um, they can keep their doors open. So I hope that people continue to be interested in them and keep buying them. I think they will. I think I, we've heard from quite a few people on the podcast that, um, that they've wanted to focus on that part of their business. And now when they finally come out of it, they'll be stronger. And I know Jeff at Nikki, you know, they're, they're having a really tough time. However, they have a new prong of their business, direct to consumer that they'll be able to focus on moving forward. So um, I think, you know, I don't know. The problem is we don't know when that's gonna be, six months, a year, two years down the road. Everyone's gonna be a little stronger. So are you planning anything? Are you able to do anything with Plate and Pitchfork right now? Or is that, are you just gonna put that off till 2022? Um, the raft trip is happening again this year. Oh, uh, good. And then, uh, so the Plate and Pitchfork rafting in Hell's Canyon is happening with uh, Chef Benny, as always. Um, is he going to be, is he going to be sporting his beard by then? That big, thick you know, beard? it's usually hot in the Canyon. So I don't know if, um, he'll shave that's, by then. That's um, what I asked. I've been, yeah, I've been uh, really enjoying his, his wife's Instagram, by the way. Um, autumn is lovely. And, yes. Autumn uh, is just lovely and the kids are great. And yeah, you'll have to ask Benny if he's going to shave his beard. But, uh, in terms of Pittsburgh planning, um, I am not currently planning dinners uh, most of Oregon is still an extreme risk so it seems inappropriate to even think about that but rest assured that if we start if we all turn to green counties instead of red counties come this summer uh, it's all packaged and ready to go um, you know after having done this for 18 years I do have the great privilege of being able to respond quickly um, all the gear is clean and packed and ready to go. And I would absolutely love to call my rental company and give her a really big order because I know that all of the event companies and rental production companies are struggling as well. So it would make me really happy to be able to support all of the farms and other related producers to, to have a dinner series this summer, but we'll just wait and see. Well, people can't see you right now. I can. And when you say that, your eyes close with such <laughs> longing and passion to do that. Um, but I will say this, you know, I would think, and you surely would make the call, but if anybody can get decent sized, good sized events going, it would be yours because they're out, they're naturally outdoors. That's the safest place to be. It's summertime. Nothing's going to be enclosed unless it rains, of course. But um, I would think that yours, well, you can't plan now. I understand that. But yours would be the first things that could come into play. 
Yes, but you have to remember that even though we are going to receive vaccines, social distancing and masks will be very important probably for the foreseeable future. And so Mm -hmm. you have to think about, um, you know, how do you effectively serve 112 people dinner when now you're creating six foot gaps? Well, that's true. Every, you know, that's, that's a lot of work for servers who are already running around in hot weather and now they're going to be running around in hot weather wearing masks. So, um, you know, if, the vaccine rollout accelerates in Oregon if testing becomes more affordable and more reliable. Um, you better believe I'll figure out how to have a farm dinner. But yeah, I, no, you're, you're I will well. never, ever, ever, ever put my guests or my hosts or my, I shouldn't say my, I will never put our guests or hosts or chefs or partners at risk of becoming ill or of having harm done to their property or putting them in any sort of harm's way from a liability perspective. So I am the science nerd who is going to make sure everything is to the letter before we go there. Do you think that um, once we have the vaccine, do you think it's going to be absolute? Well, you don't know, but I just feel like six foot distancing at a plate and pitchfork dinner is not the same as you know, I've had such good times meeting people and you're there with someone you know or love and six foot distancing is not, I don't think is, is the vibe that you're going to want. So I would think that you, you would be looking forward to the day you don't have to six foot distance. I mean, my dinners are not about having a party. Like I, if a family unit, if, if I'm sorting people by family units and they are getting to come see the places and meet the people that have grown and raised their food, then I'm meeting my personal goals. And then additionally, beyond that, you know, our dinners raise money to end hunger and the increase in the need for financial support for food banks and to get healthy food into the food system has never been higher. So when you see the eyes close, it's both thinking of a warm summer day, but also thinking like, I couldn't put $25,000 into farmers ending hunger's hands this year. And they needed that money and they needed that food in the Oregon food bank system now more than ever. And so to be able to get back to doing that work for my community and making a difference, like that's, that's why I still do these 18 years later. If I wanted to have a party in a field with a nice dinner, it would not take nearly as much work. Well, yeah, but that the the yes, the end result of what you do is a pleasant experience, and you know, I if it was if it was school, uh, I don't think you'd have as many people going. You might, but I don't know. My school might be kind of fun. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> as I was coming out of my mouth, I saw your face, and I realized, well, I'm talking to Erica. No, so, I mean, if you think about it, like. Clayton Pitchfork is school. That's I know. I, that's why. Yes. That's why I realized that as I was. It's like education doesn't have to be boring. Advocacy doesn't have to be scary. Like one of the things that has been so lovely, just in the one, not even full week of having Vice President Harris in office, is that she approaches life with such absolute effervescence and joy. She's also a badass, right? You've seen her interrogate people in Senate trials. Like you've seen Mm -hmm. her history, but she makes the time to take the moment and appreciate the little glimmers 
of beauty and she's not afraid to laugh and smile and celebrate. And if we all approach life with the same verve that she does, we would all be better for it. I mean, so school wouldn't be this giant slog. I mean, there would be laughter. The coming to a plate Pittsburgh farm dinner and listening to me cry about childhood hunger is still a, a good positive moment because everything else around it was beautiful and light and delicious. So yeah, I don't ever want to be a real teacher, but I don't, I don't think that, I don't think, I think as human, like being a human is really complicated and I'm prattling on now. So you and you're going to have a fun time editing this, but being a no. human is complicated and we don't have to make it harder than it is. We don't have to always look for the challenges. We don't have to look for the bitter. We can look for the sweet. And once we have a taste of the sweet, we keep recreating it. And if you do that slowly but surely and you hang on to that hope, you can create good. That's why I believe that as awful as the pandemic has been, we can learn from all the horrors and all the, the trauma that we've been through as a community and we can stitch it back together in a way that isn't so ugly and isn't covering up holes, but is actually built to survive and nurture. I don't know where to go from there. I don't know. It's like a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I will say, and, you know, not to, uh, not to put you on a pedestal too much, but, you know, you do, you do such a good job at what you do that I've been to quite a few dinners. I've learned quite a bit about farmers and their plights and what some of their challenges are. But it, it, as you say, I've done it in the guise of having a great time too. So I've been enjoying it. So I, I ask you to pardon me and if I if I purported that you're that plate and pitchfork is a oh, party. Oh no, 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 not at all. Not at all. Just because we are drinking and we are passing food. And that to me, you know, I I'm not a big drinker. So just to be able to do that in a in a field and drive out there and get the feeling for um, the distance that the farmers have to drive to the farmers markets all the time. All those things are a big part of yeah. you know, what we're learning and what you appreciate too. Well, you know, and if I don't have dinners this summer, um, you know, I would encourage you to look at the Travel Oregon food trail program. They have maps um, from, for all over the state. I think there are six regions now that have these lovely maps that provide guides to uh, farms and wineries and uh, farm markets and restaurants where you can enjoy Oregon products. So I may not be able to create an experience for you, but you can design your own adventure and go take that drive and still meet the people that are making and growing your food. And they'd be really happy to see you. I'm sure, I'm sure they would. And um, I hope you get to do at least a few dinners this, this summer. Well, they'll be the first to know. Oh, thanks. I'll, I'll look forward to that text. <laughs> but if not, I, I, I don't think I've been out in a few years. The last one I went to was uh, Tommy and Maya. Um, that was a while ago, right? That was probably four years ago. Three or four years ago, yeah. Yeah, time flies. So thank you so much, Erica. I really appreciate your taking the time because I know you're busy. <laughs> and we probably, oh, we're right on an hour or, just, or thereabouts. Thank so. you so much for having me, Chris. Um, oh, it's my pleasure. And I haven't seen you in person in too long, but if the best we can do is via Zoom. And one other thing I want to figure out, 
how you look straight into the camera. You're looking right at me. I have this camera above me and I'm always, you're probably always seeing me look down. How do, how do you accomplish that? Is that? Do you have a camera in your laptop in the center of the screen? No, it's in the top bar of my computer. Why does it look like you're looking right at me? And when I look at the screen, I'm looking down. I don't get I that. So. That's what happens when you do two Zooms a day for, you know, 10 months. Yeah. <laughs> you just get, you get into the routine. I'm not, I'm not, I, you know, I don't do that many <laughs> Zooms. And I, I recently had my first Zoom with more than three people on it. So oh, yeah, we, uh, the IRC Zooms are 60 to 100 people and I've been in numerous town halls. So to say I do two Zooms a day is a misnomer. I mean, they're wow. been all my day, all day on Zoom. So trick well, is good lighting and looking up. Uh, yeah, well, I had to set up my new place, too. So um, I really appreciate it, Erica. Um, and uh, we will talk to you soon. We'll okay, thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. Bye. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right